The Unshackled Waves, episode 48. Hello and welcome to the Unshackled Waves podcast. I'm Tim Williams here for this week's review show and I'm joined this week for the first time in a while, contributor for the Unshackled in New Zealand, Arthur Pigeons. Welcome back to the show. Thanks, Tim. Now today's show will have a trans-Tasman theme to it, so we'll discuss issues uh, both relevant to Australia and New Zealand. So it was in an important week uh, this week for uh, people in Australia and New Zealand as it was Anzac Day on Tuesday the 25th of April, which is our national days for honouring our war veterans. Uh, The day is the anniversary of when the Anzacs landed in Gallipoli in the Ottoman Empire in 1915. Uh, In recent years, the day has come under attack from the left and other enemies of the West. It is argued that this day glorifies war, genocide committed by white people, and is now the subject of constant terror threats. In France, they had the first round of voting for their presidential election. The good news was that our choice at the Unshackled, Marine Le Pen, made it through to the second round. She'll be up against former socialist Emmanuel Macron, who has got the endorsement of all the other candidates, including the so-called conservative Francis Fillon. Le Pen has made it further than the political establishment had hoped for, but it's still going to be tough for her to win the second round based on the current polls. Uh, In response to Australia's announcement last week that it would be tightening access to citizenship, uh, New Zealand's Prime Minister Bill English decided to do some virtue signalling and expressed his disappointment in the decision. Uh, This has brought to many people's attention uh, English's approach to immigration in New Zealand as his government wants to allow in more refugees and actually offered to take some of Australia's boat people. So this hints that he might be repeating some of Australia's mistakes, which is not good for our New Zealand uh, followers. So we'll start with Anzac Day Reflections. Now, Arthur, you were at uh, Anzac Day commemorations in in New Zealand and uh, you you got quite, uh, as you told me, uh, quite emotional about how this day is. It's not under attack from just the usual uh, left leftist people who hate the West and hate everything about it, but now there's there's all this security where our, our day is under attack where we're going to pay, pay our respects and uh, there's this fear in the back of our minds that something could happen. Yes, um, I was very glad to have been to the ceremony and seen the service um, and it was indeed very moving. But um, one of the strongest emotions that I felt yesterday was anger at the fact that people in Australia are not able to practice their own culture anymore. Um, and the reason for this is, oh, you know, we can't afford to pay for the counter-terrorism measures. I mean, that's that's admitting a lot that, um, you know, you can't go about your daily business um, expressing Australian culture in Australia without threats of uh, terror that are so um, serious that they need to be taken seriously enough to cancel a march that's been going on for a hundred bloody years. Um, So I thought, well, what's next? Um, 
are we going to say, well, you can't wear a bikini to the beach because um, we can't afford the anti-rape measures, you know? Like, where does this end? Apparently, Australia can afford um, Gillian Triggs's salary and can afford to suppress free speech like left, right and centre and can afford all sorts of things, but protecting Australian culture in Australia, uh, that appears to be a no-go area. Oh, well, to the authorities' credit, uh, Anzac Day, yes, yesterday the commemorations didn't have any uh, security threats, so there was plenty of upgrades, especially against uh, potential uh, car attacks, given that that's happened not just overseas, but we also saw the, the Burke Street Mall tragedy earlier this year, so they were alert to all the all the possible scenarios. Uh, there was an unfortunate incident the, the day before at a uh, war memorial in a Melbourne suburb where uh, a Anzac Day commemoration shrine was vandalised with the anarchist logo and had War is Murder on it, and which had actually damaged the, the gold... Uh, the gold engraved on it, which is going to cost a few thousand dollars to uh, to fix up, and they had to make sure that it was all scrubbed off for the next day. So that uh, that was uh, pretty vile. It sure is, and um, you know who do these people think they are? Um, do they think they're going to stop us from practicing our way of life? Um, apparently, they think they can do that with a bit of spray paint. Um, I think it's going to be tougher than that. I don't think that Australians can really trust in the authorities that much because if you can't protect Anzac Day in the Blue Mountains, for instance, which is one of the marches that was cancelled, um, then, you know, good luck with the government stepping in on behalf of the people. And I'm afraid that um, people are going to have to look around and view these Antifa scam or whatever you call them in your country as um, the main threat to Australia's future. They're a fifth column who are doing immense damage and seek to control the populace through threats, vandalism and violence. And there was also, I sh uh, should also uh, point out that one of the dawn services was interrupted by uh, a lone protester who uh, was screaming about uh, war and murder as well. They were actually arrested, which some have said is an attack on free speech, but they were disturbing the peace when uh, people were holding a public event, so it's not exactly a, a peaceful protest. Yeah, they can hold their own bloody event. You know, um, if they want to do that and see how many people bother to come. Uh, it's interesting, though. They they don't put uh, the left don't put as as much of an effort into Anzac Day or to ruin it as they do Australia Day. There's no mass uh, protests that they do on Australia Day. They tend to, oh, because. Oh, Maybe uh, some on the left are a bit more sensitive to what Anzac Day means rather than Australia Day, so some of them do tone it down. Yeah, well, um, I, I just find it really remarkable that there's this huge police and security state surveilling everyone, and yet if a threat is made against Anzac Day um, parades, they don't say, okay, we know who you are and we know your precise geographical location at this current time. You've made a threat and you're now under arrest and you won't be 
even on the streets for Anzac Day, um, they just sort of go, oh, we'd better cancel that parade. We can't really protect our people against it. Um, and yet, I, I wonder whether if you post a Facebook post in Canberra that says, I don't like Islam or Muslims, um, I wonder how brave the police are in breaking your door down in that case. Uh, luckily, in Australia, though, we're not at the stage now where if you post something critical of Islam or something else, the pol police will come and arrest you like we see in the UK all the time. So we're definitely not, not that bad yet. Well, that's, um, that's really good. Um, but unfortunately, that'll be down to the security forces and police deciding not to prioritise it because... Um, it is, you know, it is the law in certain parts of Australia, um, the ACT being one, I believe, that you are not actually allowed to do that. So, uh, yeah. Uh, Gillian Triggs doesn't have her own SWAT team. So, yeah, she, 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 as she said, she wanted to go into people's kitchens and clamp down on what they say, but uh, luckily she doesn't have the ability to do it. Well, you know, it's a bit like Mein Kampf. When, when Hitler wrote Mein Kampf, he didn't have the ability to do what he set out to later do. And then it, as he gained the ability, um, it, it was quite horrendous. Uh, and many countries were overrun. And then ultimately, it was the most cataclysmic war in human history. So, um, yeah, I think... You know, the fact that Gillian Triggs doesn't currently have a SWAT team is praiseworthy, um, but it's the job of every right-thinking Australian and indeed every right-thinking Westerner to um, be very clear with her that she never will get a, um, a SWAT team of her own. And in New Zealand, we have our own problem with the... Um, race relations conciliator. You know how the government names these things, but um, they often do the exact opposite of what they're uh, slated to do. Um, we have a woman called Susan Devoy. How you go from being a squash player to being um, a dame of, of the realm is, is one sort of thing that makes me scratch my head. But um, what really um, has been quite negative in recent months is Susan Devoy running around recommending that people say happy holidays instead of Merry Christmas and um, also um, saying that New Zealand needs hate speech laws. So we've got our own version of Gillian Triggs over here and I'm sure that um, she would be very happy to get rid of Anzac Day uh, and any such flagrant um, representation of Kiwi culture uh, for future years. All right, let's talk about now the person who made the, the biggest fool of themselves on Anzac Day, which was Yasmin Abdul-Magid. Now, for those who don't know who she is, she shot to fame uh, when she was uh, on Q&A trying to uh, defend uh, Islam against uh, uh, Federal Senator Jackie Lambie, and she said, and I quote, to me, Islam is uh, the most feminist religion there is, which is the most ludicrous statement I think I've heard this year. Well, she was back uh, 
uh, on Anzac Day, and she posted on Facebook, lest we forget Manus, Nauru, uh, which are the Australian uh, detention centres, and also Syria and Palestine, which uh, she was heavily criticised for that and uh, decided to... Uh, take uh, take the post down. Uh, there was a there's a petition circulating to because she's uh, of course employed part time b uh, by the ABC to present a, a show Australia wide. But the ABC is uh, standing by her. It's interesting that they didn't stand by one of their other uh, news presenters who was sacked from her on air duties because uh, she was uh, caught doing something else uh, when the uh, when the camera shot back to her. So. Well, I guess the good thing, if there is any good to come out of it, is that you know she she was rightly condemned for it and uh, took it down. But but then again, she still got this huge platform by the national broadcaster, funded by taxpayers, to to spout her uh, you know ridiculous views on Australia and uh, Islam. Yes, I mean, um, and it seems to be. She she has to take her um, Facebook post down, poor thing, after making an idiot of herself. Um, but Ayan Hirsi Ali can't even safely speak, can't even safely speak in Australia. And you know, a march for Anzac Day is a form of free speech as well. Um, and it's it's not just um, sort of right wing or ex Muslim people who are being suppressed and muffled across Australia and um, to a certain extent New Zealand as well. Um, it's everyday folks going about what for a hundred years was perfectly um, legitimate form of expression of culture and we need to get really worried about this because it's only going to get worse if things stay the same. Uh, I should also remind everyone, and also to those in New Zealand, that Yasmin, she uh, was paid by the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade in Australia to go over to the Middle East to uh, promote one of her books. So she was paid by us to spread her message, which is uh, e even worse than, well, we expect that from the ABC to put a Muslim, young Muslim like her up on a pedestal, but for, you know, Julie Bishop, who's our foreign minister, her department, she's supposed to be from a conservative party, to, you know, send her overseas as a representative of Australia, and she claims that Islam is a feminist religion, yet she goes to the Middle East uh, to some of the most misogynistic governments on the planet. Yes, well, there's this postmodern tendency just to redefine the meaning of words and um, then to just start using that word uh, as if it meant something else. So, um, yeah, uh, I think that's one of the key problems here. And they're kind of using a weakness of our culture against us. I do, I do think that postmodernism is an extremely low point in Western philosophy. Um, and, you know, we need to transcend that pretty quickly. But I'm looking at the, uh, the petition at the moment. It says, remove Yasmin Abdul-Magid from the public broadcaster. Um, and it's, it is about um, the post yesterday. And there are 20,988 supporters. Uh, so I would, I would be promoting that heavily, and I think that it's a really good idea 
um, that people sign it, um, pay ten dollars to have it shown to another thousand people, and see whether we can get this to a hundred thousand supporters pretty quickly. And we'll put a link to that petition on the show notes page. It's interesting that that petition's got 20,000 people, yet the ABC is not going to do anything. Yet a petition with 19 people gets a screening of the, the red pill shutdown in Australia. Yes, um, I mean, I think sometimes um, that it just goes to show who's in charge here, and we need to change that because it's not safe. Uh, we should just, uh, before we wrap up our Anzac Day discussion, address uh, the question of does uh, Anzac Day glorify war? Now, I identify as libertarian. Arthur, you somewhat do as well, is that fair to say? Oh, that's very fair to say. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, we view war as often, you know, unnecessary. So, for example, like we don't, uh, don't like what's, what's going on in Syria with the airstrikes. But to me, Anzac Day, it's, it's not about glorifying war or saying that all wars justify it. It's about uh, ma making sure that defence of the nation is taken seriously and we honour those who want to defend the nation. That doesn't mean we approve of what our government uses the defence forces for, but uh, that we show that we care about having our nation, which is, well, it's not under military attack, but its values are certainly under attack. That's, that's what we're trying to defend and honour. Yeah, exactly. And I think um, Gallipoli is one of the least glorious um, conflicts of World War I. Um, the best thing you can say about Churchill in regard to Gallipoli is that it seems like he learned a lot from it. Um, but, you know, it's not a celebration of militarism at all. Um, the British Empire was trying to fight against mil militarism. Um, the Gallipoli campaign was highly ill-advised and we are actually commemorating all of those deaths, many of which were unnecessary and achieved nothing, but, um, you know, and, and to point at it as something that is just um, glorifying war is completely wrong. Yeah. Yeah, definitely correct. I mean, some of the most patriotic people who, you know, get into Australia and Anzac Day are anti-war people. Yeah, and, um, you know, fair enough. Let, let us not do that again. Oh, well, we hope that we don't have to. Yes, indeed, and taking some action now could be useful to make sure that we don't have to. Now let's move on to our next topic, which was the French presidential election first round of voting. So uh, Emmanuel Macron came first and Marine Le Pen uh, came second, which means that they both go to the runoff election on May the 7th, uh, where the winner of that uh, will become France's president for the next five years. And it's clear that Emmanuel Macron, he's the elite's uh, globalist choice. He's pro-EU, pro-immigration, open borders versus Le Pen, who is the nationalist, wants to return national sovereignty to France. So it's pretty much the, the battle between a, na a nationalist and a globalist. Yes, um, and I think there, there have been some quite good comments from Francois Hollande, um, the hated Francois Hollande, who said, 
um, you know, you should vote for Macron. Well, that's a bit of a um, poison chalice, really, for Macron. Um, Fion said you should vote for Macron as well. Um, I mean, I don't think that's a great endorsement either. Um, but it was really Francois Hollande who said, you know, this is about France's place in the world. This is about um, whether we have open borders or are a member of Europe. And it's like, <laughs> excuse me, um, you don't understand, do you? You clearly don't understand that um, that's exactly what it is about. And that's why you're about to lose. Uh, it wasn't so much what Hollande said that uh, irritated me. I mean, he's the most least popular president in France's history that he didn't even seek re-election. It's more like Fillon, the supposed conservative, said that oh, we needed to reject uh, the far right and extremism and vote for Macron, who, although he says he's a centrist, how often have we heard centrists who, once they get into government, go go in a left-wing direction? So that, that was the biggest uh, betrayal uh, to me. And I was also disappointed with so many libertarians supporting the, the globalist candidate, the one who wants to take away sovereignty from the French people, and uh, rejecting the one who wants to bring it back to the French people. Yes, it is disappointing. Um, I mean, nobody is perfect, and Marine Le Pen isn't perfect, but, um, you know, Fion saying support Macron, well, it, it just goes to show that he was a fake um, right-wing candidate all along because um, he has really, um, he's, he's shown himself for what he is and he is, he should be supporting Marine Le Pen, but I think there's a bit of sour grapes there as well because he's not been able to um, surpass her and now he wants to undermine her. Um, but a lot of the people who thought that Fion was all right are not going to be wanting Macron. And centrist, I mean, centre of what? Centre of an extremely left-leaning political system? I think the centre is dead politically. Um, you know, I don't think there's a good analogy between Trump and Hitler or Le Pen and Hitler, but there is a really good analogy between the centrist politicians of these countries who just do nothing about huge problems that really worry the people um, and the Weimar Republic which of course collapsed um, and was taken over by Hitler so yeah I mean unless these people start doing something um, they will be on the outer with the voters and we should be thanking our lucky stars that it's people like Le Pen, Farage and Trump who are stepping up to the plate rather than some much more nasty characters. Oh, well, uh, libertarians, they call Le Pen a socialist, which maybe by uh, Australian standards she is, but by French standards she's pretty much uh, a centrist. Like, yes, she supports uh, the welfare state and higher taxes, though she does want uh, lower taxes for smaller businesses, but 
Uh, none of us have ever said that Le Pen was good on economics. She's also a protectionist as well. But the key issue for France at the moment is immigration and the fact that they've got such a problem with uh, the Muslim population there. I mean, the fact that 16% of uh, French citizens support ISIS, I mean, that's alarming enough for having a terrorist attack uh, every month. There was one just a few days before the election. The fact that you have no-go zones throughout France uh, France's suburbs. I mean, this Le Pen is the only person who is addressing this. And as I've consistently said, you know, free market, lower taxes, all that can wait. I mean, keeping France safe, that should be the number one priority. Yeah, you can do all of the uh, free market reforms you like um, once you have your country back. Um, but if it's left up to the uh, the immigrants to decide it, which in a few years it would be if they keep going the way they are, then it'll be decided in favour of big government because that's what those people are coming to suckle the teat of. Yeah, and it's it's worth emphasising that Macron, he doesn't think Islam is a problem at all. He says uh, there is no problem with any religion in France. I mean, that's pretty... Uh, if you if you want to bury your head in the sand, I mean, that's that's pretty much what it is. Yeah, and I, I, I actually don't believe that most French people do want to bury their head in the sand at all. Um, I think... Ordinary French people are living with this reality and um, seeing it every day. And there's going to be a large, silent majority of people who are very sick of it. Um, and heroically putting your head in the sand, and it indicates you're not going to do anything about the problem. So um, the French have a very clear choice to make, don't they? Yeah, they, uh, they, they can... They should definitely vote to to save their country. I mean, uh, Ma uh, I mean Macron. Uh, he he's just like how if he's elected and the like the polling at the moment it's it's around he's around from up ten points, twenty points uh, ahead of Le Pen at the moment, which is quite quite astounding that people would just vote for that the status quo. But we have to remember that Macron's got the entire political establishment behind him, the entire media behind him. I mean, and there's so much. Uh, fake news that's that's pr uh, that's printed in favour of him. Uh, that this is why that it's going to be difficult for Le Pen. Uh, I, I do think that uh, the, it's going to have to for the polls to be wrong. It's going to have to be a really large silent majority for her to get over the line. Well, you know, um, I heard lots of polls about a certain other female presidential candidate. Um, where was that? It's not so long ago, but it, it slips my mind. But she was supposedly ahead, very far ahead of her nearest rival. Oh, that's right. Um, Hillary Clinton, um, yes, and Donald Trump. She was um, supposed to be a shoo-in for that post, and uh, it didn't turn out like that. So I don't think France is any different from anywhere else um, where it seems to be, you know, the pollsters say what people are telling them to say rather than um, going and finding out what the people are saying. I, I do hope the, the polls are wrong, I definitely do, but the fact the, the gap between Trump and Clinton was uh, quite narrower 
that than it is between Macron and Le Pen, and the same with Brexit as well. That's why I say it's going to be much more difficult for Le Pen to to win based on just how far she is behind in the polls. Yes, um, but I can't imagine Macron, um, who is, you know, he's been described as being created in a political laboratory by um, the Hollande camp, basically. Um, so he would follow on from Hollande and do all the same things. Why is he going to be any more popular? There's a YouTuber called Six Hexenhammer 666, uh, funny name, I know, but uh, he's good at predicting things, and he said, you know, she probably won't win this time round, but there's always next time, and I think she'll win that time. Uh, so I guess we'll we'll see. I know that the spin that's um, being put on by the Le Pen camp is that she's already, uh, you know, got uh, got a lot further than a lot of people were expecting. Uh, I mean, she's down to the the final two. They say that's an achievement in itself. It sure is, and you know, as I say, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of time to run before the well, you know, a couple of weeks is um, a long time in politics. So let's see what she can pull out of the hat. But I'm not giving up yet. Uh, she has resigned as leader from the National Front in the interim. Some people have said that's an attempt to distance herself from, uh, you know, what is is labelled a far-right party, which is sort of, uh, I don't think that will really change anyone's minds. I, I don't understand why she did it, but I guess if, if it helps her win, you know, who cares? Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't even know if there's precedent for that in French elections. It may be that they quite commonly do that. It, in one way that you look at it, it could be quite clever for her to say, you know, I'm not here to represent a party. If I'm president, I'm going to be representing the French people. So um, from that point of view, maybe it's clever. Uh, before we wrap up this discussion, we've, we've not only uh, learned, about, learned a lot about uh, Macron, the main opponent, but also his wife as well, who he met his uh, wife uh, when he was uh, 15 years old and she was his drama teacher. And uh, they decided to uh, arrange to get married when he was 17. Uh, Macron's uh, 39 and uh, she's 64, which a lot of people are saying that, you know, she, what, what she basically did was, you know, take advantage and child groom Macron. But it's yet again an example of because she's a woman, she's gotten away with it. Yes, um, well, it makes you wonder who, who wears the pants in that relationship. Uh, there, there, there's a lot of, it's been a talking point uh, uh, on the internet, the, the fact that, you know, this is, uh, this is somehow just accepted as a fact. I mean, it's probably uh, well known in, in France for many years, but to all of us in the West, it's like, how can, how can this be okay? How can this be the future French first lady? Yes, well, um, you know, it's pretty disturbing if you ask me. Um, I, I, I don't think the French quite see that type of thing the way that we do, um, but personally I would be horrified uh, if that were to be the next Prime Minister of New Zealand, for instance. Yes. 
Oh, it's, been, it's an interesting little side note, but yeah, like you said, France is probably yeah quite quite different culturally to uh, what we're used to. Now let's move on to the third topic we have, which is now last week on the podcast we talked about how Malcolm Turnbull uh, decided to get tough on immigration, which is not in his political nature. So he announced the abolition and replacement of four, five, seven foreign worker visas, and he also announced a new citizenship uh, test, which included an English test and an Australian values test, and also that the wait for permanent residents to become citizens would be extended from one to four years. And for some reason, uh, your Prime Minister over in New Zealand, Arthur Bill English, decided to uh, criticise Australia, saying that this was unfair to New Zealanders uh, living in Australia who wanted to be Australian citizens, which I don't know why he... Like from my point of view, this is an unwarranted interference in Australia's domestic politics. I mean, yes, we have this immigration agreement, but it's it's still it's still none of like if he has objections to it, like raise it in the proper diplomatic channels. Don't you know make a big media conference about it. Well, what he should have done is he should have said, well, that that appears to be different from what um, Malcolm and I um, discussed last year. And so um, surely he can't be including New Zealanders in that. And I'll have a talk to him anyway, um, and we'll work it out. That's what he should have said. It's as simple as that. You know, if if you've got an agreement with someone last year and you think you, that they're breaking it, um, then you talk to them. You don't hold a press conference. Yeah, I, he he used the the word uh, the word that was reported by our media was uh, English was disappointed, which is I, I'd say a pretty strong word. And we have to remember that uh, uh, Bill English is from the New Zealand National Party, which is affiliated with Australia's Liberal Party. So they're supposed to be on the on the same side. Yet he decided to basically he would have known that the media in Australia would use his quote to whack Malcolm Turnbull. Uh, the, the leftist media would have said, ah, see, look what you know, your New Zealand counterpart is saying. I mean, uh, didn't, he have any, didn't English have any awareness of that? Well, you wonder sometimes with Bill English, he is very tone deaf. I mean, this is the man who said, um, you know, when Trump was elected and, um, you know, he was trying to deal with that fact, he said, oh, New Zealand will have to go to the back of the queue for a trade deal. Now, what what does that mean? Why would you say that? Surely you'd be saying, yeah, there's going to be a lot of people lining up to do a trade deal with America, but I'm going to get in there with my elbows and some, you know, stiletto high heels if I need to and um, get up to the front of the crowd and we'll make a free trade agreement with America. Um you know, you don't say, oh, I'm sure we'll be back of the queue, because it's obviously going to be a self-fulfilling prophecy. It certainly drew uh, my attention uh, closer to, you know, yeah, Bill English's approach to immigration and refugee policy of New Zealand, because oh, New Zealand has been quite quite protected from the mistakes that we've made in Australia. Well, for example, like New Zealand is lucky that they don't have boat people. I mean, they they come from Indonesia to Australia. They don't go on to New Zealand, so you haven't had to uh, deal with deal with that. Uh, uh, but also, 
uh, New Zealand seems to seems to have largely avoided the uh, influx of migration from the Middle East and Africa, which is causing a lot of problems in Australia's major cities, especially in Melbourne at the moment. Yes, well, one of the things that um, went through my mind yesterday when thinking about how safe it is to go to an Anzac parade in New Zealand, for instance, is that we're very, very careful whom we let in. So, you know, we only let in 750 refugees per year, um, and they're people who have applied through UNHCR. They're not perfect, but there are not great numbers of them. So um, we, we do have problems like paying for all of the health care and all of that stuff that needs to happen. But it's relatively minor compared to what's happening in Melbourne with, you know, gangs of foreign youth uh, doing all sorts of things, trying to burn down petrol stations. But New Zealanders in general are not aware of those problems because your media, our media, don't report it. You know, my I've got family members who've said, oh, Australia is a wonderful multicultural country. And I'm like, so are you aware of Gagasoulis, um, you know, running people down in central Melbourne? Are you aware of um, a Rohingya man um, self-immolating in a bank? Um, you know, does that seem like great multiculturalism to you? And um, people invariably say, no, I had no idea of any of that. Yeah, it's definitely, well, Bill English should, should know more than most people the problems that we're having in Australia, and you should have known that Malcolm Turnbull's announcement last week was because we are having so many problems with refugees and migrants in Australia. But the concerning thing is, is that Bill English is not learning from Australia's mistakes. And in, in fact, you mentioned that uh, New Zealand only lets in uh, 750 refugees, well, uh, English wants to raise it to a thousand. Uh, I know yes. that you're having problems with your your own foreign worker program, and uh, English only announced some you know minor tweaks to it, which didn't really fix anything. Yeah, um, there's a lot of um, minor tweaks going on. There's a lot of minor tweaks that are spoken about, but actually behind the scenes, um, if you want to come to New Zealand now, you have to have 140 points. Um, so there's a point system for immigrants. Um, that was leading up to sort of the end of last year, and they just increased it all of a sudden to 160 points. So, and that was done without any fanfare, without anything um, really being discussed. But it's interesting what is in, um, in the news about immigration. So there was a guy who um, has been in jail for a while for sexual offences, one of them against an eight-year-old girl. Um, he's from Afghanistan and he's been, um, as I say, jailed, but the Department of Immigration decided that he wouldn't be deported. He's a permanent resident, but they decided we won't deport him, we won't revoke that residency status when he comes out of jail. And as a result of that, the Minister of um, immigration actually suspended the power of the ministry to make that decision. He's making all of those decisions at the moment. Um, there's various politicians, many of whom um, I would normally describe as cucks, um, who are saying, why would you let this man stay? 
Um, I actually think we need to go one step further and say, why did you let this man in? That's my personal view. But, um, you know, there's none of this kind of thing where, um, as in so many countries where this happens and it's like, oh, oh well. Um, so it, there seems to be a, a change in the air over here, um, a positive one as well, but it's not something that Bill English is at all picking up on. Yeah, I noticed that there there is a lot of anxiety uh, about immigration in New Zealand, uh, but you don't seem to have a government that is too responsive to it. No, and that's why there are some new political movements popping up, like um, Make New Zealand Great Again, and I would suggest to um, listeners and viewers that they have a look at Make New Zealand Great Again, because um, it's a it's a movement that's in its very beginning phase. People often say to me, you know, oh, do they have a, a policy on this or that? And I'm like, well, I don't know. Um, what I've been suggesting people do is go and look at what they do have policies about, which is tightening up immigration, making um, taxes lower, that sort of thing, and then suggest uh, policy to them, because I think that that could be um, a good way for people to get involved. So there there are a number of people who are just sort of sick of the, the usual um, politics as um, it's done in New Zealand and who want something different. And that might be a good place for them to start looking. Because yeah, I came across in one of the New Zealand Facebook groups a post by the, the Young Nationals of New Zealand, which said that they were proud to be a group that uh, stood up for same-sex marriage rights, uh, increasing the refugee intake, uh, keeping the drinking age at 18, so pretty much all left-wing ideas and nothing about, you know, small government or uh, lowering taxes or protecting New Zealand. And it just just sort of made me think, well, we would never have the young liberals in Australia put out something like that. And if that's the future of uh, New Zealand conservatives, then God help you. No, well, the, the National Party isn't a conservative party and hasn't been for a long time. And that's why um, there's such potential for people to look outside of the current um, political offerings and find something and make something different. Um, because I'm afraid, you know, Make New Zealand Great Again is not a ready-made movement. Um, it's something that needs to be nurtured and supported and um, made great from the very beginning. So, you know, I, I'm saying to people, well, go find something and get involved and um, Forget the National Party. Look at the the, the young Nats. It's indistinguishable from um, Labour. And I think that, you know, that that's often something that is said about National is that they are Labour light. Um, on the other hand, I think that, you know, the, the increase of refugee intake from 750 to 1,000, that would have been, you know, 750 to probably... Um, 7,500 if it were up to Labour and the Greens. So <laughs> there, there is a, a matter of degree, um, and, and that is important, but it's also important um, that there be some people in the political landscape who say, um, you know, what's in it for us? 
if you want to support people who are having the problems of refugees, um, you can support 12 people in, um, in the Middle East to stay there uh, and to have a better life there um, compared to bringing one person to the West. Uh, following this uh, story about uh, Bill English, it's made me wonder who is worse, uh, Bill English or Malcolm Turnbull. And uh, at least Turnbull, like we know that he's uh, a left-wing politician, but he's he's being dragged in a more conservative direction, as as was seen with these these two immigration announcement last week last week. And he has uh, held the line on uh, issues such as uh, same-sex marriage, and he's starting to uh, campaign against the uh, the renewable energy target and other uh, cl uh, ridiculous climate change policies. So he is uh, being somewhat conservative, even if it, if it's not genuine. But uh, I'll get your uh, perspective on this. But yeah, Bill English, uh, he, he, he seems like he's just pure left. Well, he certainly um, would like people to feel that way about him, but you know, as I said, there were these immigration changes late last year that um, came through with no fanfare at all, increasing um, by far the number of points. And you know, the, the number of points you need to get into New Zealand. And I just think, you know, in, in word, um, Bill English is no better than the Labour Party. And when it comes to immigration, probably is actually worse um, on the other hand, you know, sneaking an English proficiency test into um, into the qualifications and increasing the number of points, it does increase the quality of immigrants that we're going to get. Um, but there's just no sense of, um, you know, we're doing this because we have conservative values. I, I don't get that feeling from them at all. Um, and you have to remember that um, you know New Zealand has had no opposition for nine years, um, so the the Labour um, movement in New Zealand has been totally destroyed. So they just you know they take the path of least resistance. Um, why bother with flack from the public? But it's quite negative because they're not representing um, the more conservative people in New Zealand in terms of expression of ideas at all. Um, and you've got National Party politicians saying we need hate speech laws. We've got them putting Susan DeVoy into the race relations conciliator um, pro, you know, mm. position. Why do we need a race relations conciliator? I think I can conciliate with people of another race just fine, thank you, without the government. Uh, we should probably wrap up the show now. So uh, for those listening, I hope you enjoyed the Australia versus New Zealand comparison. Yes, I'm sure, um, you know, lots of New Zealanders um, have lots to learn. And I'm really hoping that um, we will get more New Zealanders um, tuning in because there's a lot of problems in Australia that we can avoid here in New Zealand if we're careful. So thanks for coming on the show again, Arthur. It was good to catch up. Thank you, Tim. And I'll uh, just announce before we uh, wrap up the show that 
uh, the Unshackled will be at the Australian Libertarian uh, Society Freedman Conference this weekend, uh, which is uh, Friday the 28th of April uh, 2017 to uh, Sunday the 30th. We'll have a stall there so you can come up and chat to us if yeah, it's too late to go and purchase tickets now. But we hope that because uh, we sent out uh, a lot of emails about it, so we hope that a few of our supporters are coming along. And uh, I myself will be speaking on the Friday at the Students for Liberty uh, training uh, uh, training event. I'll be debating uh, with uh, two uh, uh, with another person against two other left libertarians will be debating uh, is nationalism good for liberty so I'm very much looking forward to taking that issue on uh, as always if you haven't uh, signed up to the email list at the it's at the unshackled.net slash subscribe uh, for other events that are upcoming please check out the unshackled.net slash events and of course don't forget you can also support the Unshackled. You can become a patron on Patreon or donate via PayPal. And don't forget to subscribe to the show on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, or view the video version on YouTube. And don't forget to keep checking the Unshackled.net on a regular basis for all the latest news. Thanks once again for listening, and we'll see you next time.